Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. Ted, we welcome you and thanks for taking the time to come and uh, we receive what it is that you have. Thank you, Anthony. I do want to reiterate the, the friendship thing is the most valuable thing to me and I believe that unity through diversity, not conformity. Uh, if we're all the same, then we're dead. <clears throat> so I prefer us to be alive. And so thank you very much for, at the end of silly season, to receive someone like me here on a Wednesday night. I guess that's what this is, a Wednesday night. And uh, tonight I want to I talk about the power of the Word, uh, but I'm not talking about the power of Scripture. <laughs> First of all, to understand the Word, we have to understand a little bit about God, okay? Now... I believe that God is a trinity, although we cannot find the word trinity in Scripture anywhere. But we cannot experience God, see anything about God, be touched by God in any way without experiencing him uh, in a way that is, a, he's a father. So he, he gives life, he gives identity, he gives inheritance. But he's also word, he's express, he expresses, he can't help himself, he He's the expression. He expresses. Word is not just what you're hearing coming out of my mouth right now. It's also what you're seeing on my face and my hands and the atmosphere of my attitude. There's something coming off of me. That's the expression of me. And God cannot help but express himself. And so he is word. And when he expresses himself, it has nothing to do with information. It has to do with life. Life happens when he walks into the room. And then God is also spirit. And so he causes life to happen in all things. Uh, Paul observed it this way when he went into the city of Athens and he was looking at secular society, a group of humanity that God was among, but they didn't know it. Uh, I like even in the story of Lazarus, you know, Lazarus and the rich men. Lazarus means God helped me and I didn't know it. And I think Lazarus represents all the nations of the world that just didn't know it was him. And all of a sudden, Lazarus finds himself in Abraham's bosom. He finds himself in a relationship with God as father, because God's always desired that. But Paul finds himself in Athens, and of course, he, he quotes some of the secular poets. And he says that God is, you know, even your own poets have said, after Paul says this, God is not... A God that is worshipped with things made of hands. He doesn't need anything from anyone. But uh, he gives life. He gives breath. And he gives all things. That describes him in his trinity. That he is the giver of life. He's the source of life. That's father. He's, he gives breath. So in other words, I, I become an expression of him. He makes me come alive, but then I become an expression of him. If he's the music, I'm the song. If he's, he's the ink, I'm the literature. 
If he's the paint, I'm the painting. If he's the, 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 the poet, I'm, I'm the poem. So when he walks into my life, I become an expression of him. He becomes, he, he is the word, so I become an expression of him. He gives life, he gives breath, and then he gives all things. He wants to be intimately involved in everything of my life, and I am spiritual. I'm spirit natural. I'm not just spirit. There are angels for that. Um, I'm not just natural. There are dogs and cats for that. I'm spirit natural. I'm spiritual. I, I am God's means of heaven becoming real in this world. Now, all things that God does, he does by his word. 2,000 years ago, the word became flesh, moved into the neighborhood so that any and every neighborhood could become an expression of the word. God moved into the neighborhood not just to change the neighborhood, but to cause the neighborhood to become an expression of him. And thus, not only does the neighborhood change, but everything beyond that. God's not just interested in the garden, he's interested in the field. He, he's interested in, in taking life from your house and touching the earth. And the last thing you need to know is what you're doing. <laughs> the first thing you need to know is him. Anthony already said, we know some things that we don't know. I happen to believe that the reason for that is, is God does not speak to our souls. He speaks to our spirit. And then our spirits speak to our souls. That's why when you hear God in your soul, when you can articulate it as a thought or a reasoning or an emotion or a desire or an imagination, when you can articulate it that clearly, it sounds like you. Because it is you but it's you made alive by him. That's how it works. You see, when God made man, he spoke to himself, and so there's something of us that is like God in our three parts, spirit, soul, and body. And we are like him so that uh, we will be like him when we grow up, and we will bring the influence of life into the world that we live in. So. We're supposed to become word. We're supposed to become an expression of him. To understand a little about humanity, I'm going to take a negative verse for a moment and, and pull a positive reality out of it. Uh, there's a chapter in the book of Revelation, which, by the way, Revelation is a revelation. It's not a mystery. It's a revelation. Something was hidden, no longer hidden. And it's about a person. And Revelation 13 is a revelation about what I see is the spirit of the world, the spirit of religion, and how neither of those things are cool. But in the midst of that, the very first part of it, 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 it reveals what humanity is in their creation because it says there's this beast that comes out of the sea and it's like a leopard, it has feet like a bear, it's got a mouth like a lion, and the devil gives it its power, its throne, and its authority. What is it? It's human beings who don't know where to find love. Okay, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. And so what do they do? They're, they're meat eaters. They're, 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 they're feed me. They, they pray prayers like this. Help, help. What will I eat? What will I wear? Those are Gentile prayers, people who aren't in covenant with God. Church shouldn't be praying those. 
God loves that prayer. Help, I don't know what to do. What dance should I dance? What song should I sing? God loves those prayers, but he, he doesn't expect them to come out of his children. He expects them to come out of those who are wantabees. Because <laughs> he wants to give them life. But the spirit that comes out of the world is, is like a leopard constantly looking to eat meat. <laughs> Friday night, business, opportunity, ministry, you name it. What can I eat to, to feed me? And then it has feet like a bear. It walks according to the flesh, my way or the highway, my way or the highway. Arr, I'm relentless like a bear. And I've got a mouth like a lion, me. So it's all about me, me, me. But in that verse, the one thing I want to extract out of there is throne is power, throne, and authority. So in that negative verse, I find a positive statement about human beings that most of the church is stupid to. Power, throne, and authority. Anything that separates your power from your throne and separates your throne from your authority destroys a human life. Now, I'll explain that. You are spirit, soul, and body. You're not a body with a spirit, and you're not a, a body. Your soul is not up here. You're, you're three-dimensional. And the dimensions of you is meant to be directly connected to the life of the spirit, which makes your spirit come alive. The human conscience is not the Holy Spirit. It's human spirit. And the human conscience says, there is a God. He's good. I need him. It's not meant to be a good ruler. It's not meant to be a good source of knowing what to do or not to do. It just tells you, you need to be connected to the one that's life. Okay? And then the human soul is the area that manifests your thought, your reasoning, your emotions, your imagination, your desire. It doesn't create those things. It manifests it. And so your soul either manifests that because something in the flesh inspires it or something from out here inspires it. But in a healthy human, if my spirit is alive, then my soul is alive. And if my soul is alive, then my life is alive. So it affects my ability to be a grandpa, affects my ability to be a husband, affects my ability to be a friend, affects my ability to be a creator of things in this earth. It affects my ability to be a life giver instead of a taker. Since God doesn't need anything from anyone, if I'm in his likeness and his image, then I should not need anything from anyone either. Can you imagine a world where no one needs anything from everyone and they're giving life to everyone? Can you imagine how many things you're going to be fulfilled in your life that are like getting your needs met? <laughs> so the word, okay, the word, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, that word became flesh, he moved into the neighborhood. In John chapter 1 verse 13 it says he was full of grace and truth two things no other human being was full of he was full of grace and truth he was united spirit soul and body and so he came to redeem the human race now i'm talking about the power of the word and i'm going to say this for you as as the rock that this place is a word anthony chris you're a word it's more about 
being a word than it is about knowing the word. It's more about what you've become, and there are some things that you've become. You as a people are a word. It's more what you've become than what you know. Yet there are some more things to become. Okay? And so the, the word, the word is the expression of God. Your soul is the throne of your life. It is the ability to express the spirit naturally. To put expression to the spirit in the world that you live. My wife appreciates the fact that I have a spirit. She's appreciative of the fact that I have a soul, but she's expecting me to come home tomorrow and be there. Okay, so she wants to see me, experience me, spirit, soul, and body. She wants my life in her life. My, my grandchildren, my grandson is counting to sleeps until he can, uh, he can experience Gopa, Grandpa. All right. Now, when I walk into his room, his room changes. My daughter-in-laws, they always tell me, they can tell when, when the, their kids have been with Grandpa because they, they smell like Grandpa when they come home. Now, you can tell when someone's been with God, and I'm not talking about religiously. I'm talking about in reality. Okay. Now, Let's look at a couple of verses here. And there's a verse here that is a common verse to us. And this is going to be, there's a, there's a phrase in it that just stuck out to me today so strong for you as a people, particularly for you, Anthony. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, we know the verse, Genesis 1, 1. It says, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Three things happen here. There's a situation that's formless, void, and dark, and God sees it. There's a, there is an opportunity for God to be himself. God doesn't need anything from anyone. So if he's going to be himself, if you're going to let him be himself in the room, you've got you to allow him to walk into an environment where he can give life, breath, and all things. So here's an environment that needs him to walk into the room. It's formless, it's void, and it's dark. And he walks into the room, and he's ready to give life, breath, and all things. So he comes into the room. He comes into the situation of however this is, okay, this is a covenantal view from God's perspective. We have another view in Genesis 2. But in this situation, formless, void, and dark, I think it's a perfect situation for God. It's a perfect situation for God. This is a perfect situation for the children of God. This is a perfect situation for humanity in the likeness and the image of God. A place that is formless, void, and dark. Where God can walk and be himself. So he comes as the source of life, and then he comes as the word. He comes to express. So he comes as the source so that what is uh, formless begins to take form. He comes as the, the word so that what is empty begins to fill. And he comes as the spirit so that what is dark becomes totally light. So it's not a bad situation. It's a situation where God reveals 
who he is. Now, I happen to believe that I was created for such an environment that I'm the best human when I become like him. When I'm not looking at a world that's formless, void, and dark and saying there's something wrong with it, but I'm looking at a world that's formless, void, and dark, and I see it as an opportunity to walk into the room and everything changes. Now, I have to believe that the phrase in the beginning is very significant. Today, as I saw that, in the beginning. Okay, that stuck out to me so strong because I believe prophetically that why, where you are as a church and maybe where the church is globally is not so much about fixing things from the past or concluding things that have been, but it's about creating things that have never been seen. So the phrase in the beginning should be a normal phrase in our lives. It shouldn't be about fixing what's wrong. It should be about opportunities that allow there to be many new beginnings. So <laughs> it's not even a matter of needing an ending. This is a matter of in the beginning. And I've sensed prophetically that you're about to, you, you've already experienced lots of, lots of beginnings. This church, you become, you've become a word in a lot of things. You've become a word of forgiveness. You've become the word of love. You've become the word of mercy. You've become the word of grace, yet there's a testimony of the word that's yet to come into you that's a powerful word of transformation unlike you've ever seen creativity in this place has only begun. All right. So in the beginning, it's formless, void, and dark. The word, God has to express himself. He gives life, okay? Y'all know God doesn't, we don't, God doesn't need us to worship him. Okay, worshiping him isn't going to change his world. It's not going to change who he is. But we need to worship him because worshiping him is going to change my world. Me being an expressor to him is going to change me, not him. Okay, now, he, I, he doesn't need me. Uh, he doesn't need me to be a, an, an expressor. I need to be an expressor. Should I say, he doesn't need me to be an expressor for his sake. He needs to be an expressor for the world's sake. What did Jesus say? Ha, if anybody's thirsty, anybody? Ha, anybody thirsty, let them come to me and drink and you'll be finally satisfied. No. He said, anybody thirsty, let them come to me and drink and from inside of you will flow rivers of life-giving water. Rivers of life-giving water. Expression will come out of you. Word will begin. You begin to become the word. You'll become the word called you. The word of God is filled with a lot of little I am's that express the greatness of the great I am. It's about being, it's not about doing. So it's this expression of the word is to God speaks, life happens. God expresses, life happens. Life happens. God's heart is that life happens in the beginning. In the beginning. Okay? Now, if we look at 1 John chapter 2, and I'm just going to talk about these verses a moment. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, we find some dynamic in the community of God. John writes 
three aspects in the community of God, which I believe also express life, breath, all things. Father, Word, Spirit. Okay? And he says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. I write to you, fathers, you've known him from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you've got a father. Your sins are forgiven, you've got a father. I write to you, fathers, you've known him from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome, you're strong in the word, strong in him in the word, you've overcome the wicked one. Okay, now, what is all that about? First of all, he gives life. What is, what is that? My sins are forgiven. I have a father who loves me. I didn't have to believe in him for that to happen. All he had to do was believe in me. And he proved that when the word became flesh, moved into the neighborhood, he demonstrated, I believe in the neighborhood. This neighborhood is, is worth not just renovating. This neighborhood is worth waking up. So the word became flesh, moved into the neighborhood so that we would know I got a father who loves me. I'm a child of God. My sins are forgiven. Okay? He wanted me to be alive. I got three, four grandchildren that all know that testimony in my house. I got a grandpa who loves me. I'm alive. Okay? My sin, there's no, there's no issue of there's shame on me. My sins are forgiven. I've got a father who loves me. I want that nature in my spirit. I want that to be a permanent uh, print in my spirit. The older I get, I want that print in my spirit to be so strong that the atmosphere that comes off of me is always never a shame on you, but uh, we got a daddy who loves us. Uh, our sins are forgiven. Okay, so we know it is <laughs> we were born to be loved. We, we weren't born to be right. We were born to be loved. Children were born to be loved. Parents don't have children so that they can finally prove to be parents. If they do, that gets fixed pretty quick, I hope. If you're that confused when you have children that you're having children because you've got to prove to be a parent. No, you have children. You don't have children so that they'll love you. You have children so that you love them. So God knows who people are before people know who he is, and he's good with that. He, I got a father in heaven. What makes me a son is not being a son. What makes me a son is having a father. What makes me alive is not being a, what makes me forgiven is not anything I did. I got a father who forgives me. My sins are forgiven. So in the dynamic, my spirit has to carry that life. That's my spirit, okay? Then, the ultimate goal is to become like fathers and mothers. I'm using fathers because the term there is a source of identity, a source of uh, destiny, a source of inheritance, okay? So our goal should be to give life to the world, a little child doesn't think I'm here to give life to the world. No, I got a daddy who loves me and my sins are forgiven. My spirit says I got a father who loves me and my sins are forgiven. But the demonstration of my life, the way that I'm a husband, the way I'm a grandpa, the way I'm a minister, the way I'm a friend, the way I drive my truck, the, the way I manifest my life in this world is 
I should manifest my life as a father. So I'm not here to get, I'm here to give. I'm, I'm inventive, I'm creative, I'm expectant, I, I'm, I'm not easily moved. It's not my first rodeo. I've known him since from the beginning. You understand the idiom, it's not my first rodeo? In other words, it's not my first time at the, you know, at the park. I've been here before. That's what a father is. Okay? But I believe that all of us, male and female, men, women, our ultimate goal is, not our ultimate goal, the fruit of our life, the fruit of being alive, should be giving life to others, becoming a full, mature word in the earth. Okay, but to get there, there's this overcoming, this thing in the middle. Sons are young men, young women who overcome the wicked one because they're strong in him and in the word. And that's not knowing what the word says as much as is becoming what the shadow says. The written word is just a shadow of something real. It's not real. Even when we talk about laws, Laws don't exist because they were written in the Torah. Laws were hidden, but they were never intended to be something we were under. They were hidden in creation. Okay? They were never intended to be something we serve. They were intended to be something that serves us. Gravity is a law that serves you. What you do, the first of a thing, determines what happens to all the rest. That's in the Torah, but long before it was in the Torah, a guy named Abel stumbled into it, and God was speechless. He was gobsmacked. Couldn't believe he stumbled into it. So in other words, all of creation is prepared for us to be the testimony of the word, the testimony of life to the world. Okay, so overcoming the wicked one is anything that destroys death. The wicked one is whatever destroys, I mean, anything that destroys life, not death, anything that destroys life is a wicked one. Okay? Wickedness is ultimately the absence of life. So it isn't disgusting, terrible, it's just dead. <laughs> but grace overcomes. Now, in this culture, this community, we should be little children, we should be expressions of God, that's growing sons and daughters, and we should be Sources of inheritance as, as fathers. So he gives us life, he gives us breath, he gives us all things. We're expressions of God in this world for the sake of this world. So now people say, if God is good, why do bad things happen? I'll tell you my theory. My theory is this. is because we, we say this thing that God is in control, but I don't find that biblically that God's in control. I find that he's ultimately in charge, and if everybody who's in control got intimate with the one in charge, the world would change. But he's, uh, and I find that I don't believe that God, uh, uh, I don't believe that God knows all things. I believe he chooses not to. I don't believe he's everywhere present. I believe he chooses not to be some places. I don't believe that he's all powerful. He chooses not to be. All right with that? I, I think Anthony and I are on the same page there. I, I think, he, I think he's, very, he's very personal. So when the psalmist said, where can I go and you're not there, that was a revelation of the psalmist, not that God does not live in, 
in the realm of the dead. If he lived there, you'd have to change the name on the door. If he, if he lived in Sheol, you'd have to change the name on the door to heaven. <laughs> Some life place, because if, if life lived in the room called death, you couldn't have a door sign that said Sheol. So the psalmist wasn't saying God lives in Sheol. He was saying, I have a daddy who never leaves me, never forsakes me. If I, where can I go and you're not there? If I go to the realm of the dead, you're there. Why? I know for a fact you never leave me. You never forsake me. I can't go anywhere and you're not there. Does God know all things? Well, he knows all the hairs on your head. That's a term of endearment, not fact. Uh, Paul said, to, when he was about to be shipwrecked, he said to the captain, he said, listen to me, and I promise not a hair in your head will be lost. I bet you in that shipwreck, I think number 753 hair fell out of the captain's head. I think, pretty sure. And number 305, right over here on the right-hand side right there, it was, it was just turning gray, fell out. So it wasn't a term that you're not going to lose any hairs. It was a term that you're going to be taken care of. God knows the hairs on your head means he cares for you. It's not a fact statement. It's a care statement. Does he know everything? Well, he surely doesn't know my sins and my lawless deeds, so he's decided to make it so he doesn't know those. So is he all-powerful? He says, my traditions can make his word of no effect. He says, if I draw near to him, he's right there. But if I don't, no. So there's, he's, a, he's a father. And he wants us to become expressions of him. Now, he gave dominion to mankind. In Genesis 1, after he saw it was formless, void, and dark, he said, ah, let there be light. He expressed himself. What happened? Light. At the end of that creation there, it's, it's, it's like a view from heaven. God describing what this looks like. It's not meant to be a fact chapter about creation. It's meant to be when God looks at a situation, this is what comes out of his heart. And when he created man, he spoke to himself, and he, he didn't create male man. He created man and woman in his heart. Masculine, feminine came out of his heart, and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and have dominion. Okay? And, of course, then he put man in a garden. He, well, in Genesis 2, from the looking up from earth to heaven, from the perspective of man, it looked like this. God took dust touched it, formed it, breathed in it the breath of life, and now from the dust this man is formed, and he becomes a living being. God plants a garden, puts the man in the garden, and gives him some commandments. It says in the garden there were all kinds of trees that were really good to look at, really good to eat, and God said, eat, 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 commanded him, eat, 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 don't touch that, it'll kill you. He did not say, don't touch that, I'll kill you. He said, you eat that thing, you'll die, don't touch it. Now, there was only one difference between that tree and all the rest. Because it was pleasing to the eye, good for food, and every other tree was pleasing to the eye, good for food. The only difference is that tree made you smart. It made you wise, it made you independent. It made you disconnected from being who you're meant to be, disconnected from the Spirit, disconnected from the life in your spirit, disconnected from intimacy, relationship, okay? It doesn't mean you can't know stuff. It just means 
this is a family deal. This is a, this is a connected to your life source to be an expression. And of course, after man chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, things changed. And I happen to believe, my personal opinion is the family tree got perverted. It became a family tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of a family tree of life. And so it was based on information, not based on transformation, based on what you know, not based on who you are. So based on what words can be spoken to you, not based upon what expression of the words you are. And so the result was it didn't work out too cool for the earth. Now, all those people who died in the flood, I have no clue what happened to them other than my Bible says Jesus preached to them. Sure seems like something really good happened. Uh, so it, it's none of my business. It's beyond my pay grade. Uh, I just know that, that uh, what I used to know, I don't know anymore. Okay. But in all of that case, what God intended for the earth didn't happen because of man's decision. And so after the flood in Genesis 9-1, God says to man, be fruitful, multiply, and fill. He says to Noah, be fruitful, multiply, and fill. He leaves two things out. Subdue and dominion. Until Genesis, until John chapter 1, verse 13, the word became flesh, moved into the neighborhood. He was a man full of grace and truth. I believe that grace is the power of the Spirit of God in your life that destroys death with life. It's the power to subdue. Grace transforms you. Grace is the power of life in your life. Thus, it destroys death. Grace is the power of light in your life. Thus, it, there's no more darkness. Grace is the power of life in, in your life. So it subdues. It doesn't rearrange the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. It changes the ship. It changes everything. It doesn't, it's not another means of governing by the knowledge of good and evil. It's a means of governing by dream and vision and passion and fire. It's a, it's a means of finally becoming the poem, finally becoming the song, finally becoming the painting, finally becoming the expression of God that you are. So the means of becoming that beyond being multiplying, filling, being fruitful, multiplying, and filling, to subdue is to change your world. To subdue is to, in the world that you are in, now you are no longer just occupying it, you're expanding the environment of you in the world that you live in. You're subduing, you're changing your family, you're changing your neighborhood, you're changing the earth. The day you were born was a good thing. The world's a better place from that moment on because you were born. And then truth is not what you know in your head. Truth is what you become. Truth crumbles every lie. You make a great you and a terrible someone else. And when you become the real you, you crumble every lie. So dominion is the ability to crumble every lie with truth. Not with what's coming out of your mouth, but what's coming off of your life. The DNA of who you are as an expression of God in the earth. So grace is the power to subdue, 
Truth is the power to exercise dominion. What you become changes the world. I believe that God had this in mind. Now, I'm going to park one last place. Let's go to John chapter 15. And I believe that becoming the power of the word is essential. I believe that, I believe that you are becoming a word. Anthony, you are a word. So it's not what you know that you got out of Scripture. It's not what you know, Chris, that you got out of Scripture. It's what you've become it's what you've become because of the life of God in your spirit that's flooded your soul and being flowing through the expressions of who you are in your being in this world. And so you are becoming the expression of God that changes the world. So it's not what you know about mercy. We want to know is when you walk in the room, does mercy happen? It's not what you know about grace. It's when you walk into the room, did we experience it? It's not what you know about forgiveness. It's not what scriptures you can recite. We want to know when you walk into the room, is unforgiveness melted? Does unforgiveness crumble? Because the truth of forgiveness comes in. Now, ultimately, it's in you as a young, okay, I'm a little child, even though I'm 44 years old in Christ, 62 years old on the planet, I'm a little child, always. So my sins are forgiven. I got a father who loves me. I'm also a young man, an overcomer, because although I'm 44 years old in Christ, 62 years old in life, I still have some things that are not life to overcome. Okay? So I still have to be a growing young man in my nature. But I'm also a father. I'm a source of life to others. Okay? I'm not here to get my needs met. It's not my first rodeo. I've known him from the beginning. Okay? I've seen this before. I've known him from the beginning. Here to give life. Okay? So in John chapter 15, Jesus uses a, an analogy here. He's just talked to his disciples about how I'm going. It's a good thing I'm going. I'm going to send you another helper like me. He's going to be with you. He's going to actually cause you to become, he's telling them. I'm actually going to send the helper who is not only going to be with you like I'm with you, he's going to be in you, he's going to be with you. Later on, he says, you're going to be like clothed in him. Okay, now, the helper is Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, just as much as Jesus and Father. So now in John 15, he says, I am the vine. My father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away in every branch that bears fruit. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, so now he's basically telling them, he says, I'm the vine. My father's the vine dresser. And the analogy is he's, he's likening us to being connected to him as something that's living and growing. A vine with branches. Okay? But there's a purpose in this vine and the branches. The purpose is not to get to heaven when you die. With this vine and these branches. This vine and these branches, the purpose is the fruit of life to influence the world. Okay, fruit makes people come alive. It's not a collectible. Wine makes people glad. Wine makes people experience life. And so this vine is in the earth to bring life, bring the life of God, influence the earth with the life of God. Any part of this vine that's not alive gets cut off. That's good news. 
And any part of this vine that's alive gets cut a little bit so that it can even bring and give more life. So none of that is shame, shame. All that is really good news and really good news. If there's something in me, we can take the metaphor, if something in me doesn't give life, we might as well just cut that off. And it's not shame on me for having that. It's just like, you know, just, that's, not, that's not life. I don't need that. That's weight I'm carrying around. So, and if, I, if I'm fruitful and he prunes me, that's really good news. That means he wants me to be, he's trusting me to be able to carry the weight of fruit. I have fruit trees in my, in my yard and, and I prune them because I don't want them to break. I want them to have sweet fruit. So I, my apple trees are shaped to do like this and, and you know, branches that go straight up, I cut those off. Why, they're going to break when the fruit goes on there and they're going to drain the tree. I want it to be able to hold fruit. Now, it's not for the sake of the tree that I want it to have fruit. It's for the sake of my grandchildren, my children and me and my neighbors and my friends. I want it to have fruit. I want it to bring, to make people come alive. Fruit makes people come alive. Your life was given to you to make people come alive. Cause people to come alive. Cause others to come alive. Cause the world to come alive. Okay. We've never had a... a, a uh, we, Repentance is not your bad, be good. That's not true repentance. Repentance is it's dead, be alive. Jesus didn't preach a repentance from evil. He gave us a repentance from dead works. What is that? He gave us a repentance unto life. It's a grant. It's not a you were bad, stop it. He doesn't care if you were bad. You could be good or bad. He cares if you're dead. <laughs> he, he wants you to be alive because when you find true life, good and bad won't be the issue because he's good. You'll be a life giver, a giver of life. That's what children of God are, givers of life. That's why we've been given dominion over the works of his hands, Psalms 8. We've been given dominion over the works of his hands. Why? Because authority is a giving thing, never a taking thing. It's the ability to give life to the world. This bottle has the authority of water. It sure does. Because it gave me a drink. If it doesn't give me life, it doesn't have authority. Authority never takes. Authority only gives. It means I have too much of something for the sake of others. That's called the word water. That is called water. That's the expression called water. 70% of my body is made of that, so I need some of that. It's the word water. I can find it written on a page, but when I find it written on a page, W-A-T-E-R, okay, that's not water. That's called the word water. This is water. That's called 
the word water that talks about something that's real, but it's not real. It's the real word that says there is water. But the word that causes us to come alive is not the word that says there is water, it's water. So now, the water, in essence, if, if this was like the vine and the branches and water was the fruit, understand my analogy? If water was the fruit, the fruit is for me. If the vine is here, the fruit of the vine is so that what the vine is causes me to become alive in who I am. This I am is meant to cause this I am to be to the glory of the great I am. Got it? So in John 15, he says, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. In verse 3, he hasn't died for anybody's sins. He hasn't been on the cross. Now, what word? We could go to the previous chapter and we see that he spoke some words. I don't believe that that's what he's talking about here. I believe he's talking about the word was in the beginning, but then finally enough time happened that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And he didn't come into the neighborhood to condemn the neighborhood, but he came to tell everybody in the neighborhood, you're clean. <laughs> Who he is makes everyone clean. But it doesn't make them fruitful. Who he is makes me clean. Who I am makes me fruitful. What he did didn't make me clean. Who he is made me clean. Who is he? he? He already accomplished here in John 15. He's already accomplished who he is. He is the word made flesh. He's the expression of the father's love to little children. He's the expression of God in flesh. He's daddy. He's the love of God expressed. You can feel him. You can smell him. You can touch him. You can experience him. He's the love of God in the room that says, shame off of you. I have never not known who you are. Sin did not create a problem for me with you. It created a problem for you with me. And I'm walked into the room to tell you, I know who you are. You're clean by the word that I've given you. Now, unfortunately, in, and I don't think this is true here, so that's fortunate. But in, in Christianity, which I don't think God had Christianity in mind. I think he had humanity in mind. Uh, but unless Christ is in you, you don't come fully alive as a human being, spirit, soul, and body. You, you're, you become scattered and divided. You don't have an, a, an abundant spirit, an abundant soul, an abundant life. I, I'm not talking about physical things. I, I'm talking about the dream called you. The, the ability to be you, to express you, and to touch others with you. To see what you see, to hear what you hear, to, to paint what you paint, create what you create, 
to express the Father in the form of you. You're not one in seven trillion or seven billion. You're, you're, not, you're one and only. You're one and only expression of your Father sent to bring life to the world. So he said, you're already clean by what I've spoken to you. My, who I am in the flesh has already made you clean. So I'm going to say, hmm, in, in some sense then, I should be able to walk into any place on planet Earth and be the word that tells people they're clean. But I cannot be the word that makes them fruitful. Okay, let's read a little farther on. So you're already clean by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and, you, and, and I in you as a branch can bear fruit of it, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. In other words, you know, we're, we're one together. I'm in you, you're in me. I'm driving my truck down the road a few years ago. I think I've shared this before here, but God says to me, son, peace is the evidence you live in my house. Grace is the evidence I live in yours. And I realized that no gap between me and him gives me access to his refrigerator. But I also realize no gap between him and me gives him access to everything that I am and so that everything I am becomes transformed and becomes an expression of him. His refrigerator doesn't make me an expression of him. It makes me a benefactor of him. Mercy justifies me to live. But grace empowers me to live. So he says, you're already clean. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me. And in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him ah, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now bearing fruit has nothing to do with being clean. Has nothing to do with being loved. Has nothing to do with being accepted. Has nothing to do with, uh, if I don't do this, I'm not going to go to heaven when I die. You're already good. You got your ticket. <laughs> okay. Him coming and offering you his life was totally based on him. Communion is dependent upon him, not upon you. But now, there is something that's dependent upon you and me. Okay? It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and was withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. Okay? Let's not get heavy on this. All is that saying is that anything is not life is not life. Okay? So, that's not bad news. I mean, I had a guy come to my church once and he says, the Spirit of God says he's judging this church. I said, isn't it wonderful? It's fantastic. Isn't it? Everything that burn, going to burn. You're absolutely right. It's so exciting. <laughs> okay. If you abide in me and my words. Now, he doesn't say my logos, my, what I have been an expression of, but my freshly right now expressions abide in you. My rhema abide in you. If I heard God last year, which I did, I wrote it in my, my used to be journal, but now it's my iPad. Okay, I wrote it in my notepad. Okay, when I read my notepad, I'm not reading a rhema. I'm reading a logos because I wrote it down. I'm reading something I heard a year ago. The only way that it can be a rhema is for me to hear it right now again. So my words abide in you you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. Fruit is not so that I will be loved. Fruit is not so that I will be saved. Fruit is not so that I'll be alive. Fruit is so that I'll bring life to the world. He wants me to bring life to the world because that's who he is. He gives life, he gives breath, he gives all things. And if I'm made in his likeness and his image, I also walk in that nature to give life, to give breath, to give all things, to empower people to not be loved, but to be an expression of that love. The power of the word. Dr. Bob Nichols has a statement. I, 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 he probably stole it from somebody, so I've stolen it enough that uh, I'm sure it's been said here, but every revelation from God is an invitation to have an encounter with God. Maybe Anthony said it first. I don't know. I've said it so many times. It's, it's mine. But every revelation from God is an invitation to have an encounter with God so you'll be transformed by God and become that revelation. But that has nothing to do with information. A revelation of love is an, is an invitation to have an encounter with love so that you will become the revelation of love. So when you walk into the room of hate, hate melts. We're in a season in the earth where, where the grace of God, um, the only way that I can show mercy is if I'm a man of grace. And the only place that I can show mercy is to people of law. Because law requires a judgment. Law still exists. Doesn't need to, but it does, because people choose not to live in grace. So since people choose not to live in grace, then law still exists. And so where law is, mercy has to be shown or you're still stuck in law. So mercy is the judgment that triumphs. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is the one that frees, that frees your neighbor, frees you, Okay? Now, I don't want to be a person who's dependent upon mercy. I want to be a person who's empowered by grace. However, his mercy is new every day. The good news is I boldly come to the throne of grace, not the cross, but I come to the throne of grace. I receive, reach out, receive that mercy I need, but then I find grace. Now, I'm finding grace. Grace is not for me to get. Grace is for me to give. Grace makes me, that's the fruit. Grace makes me a life giver. Grace doesn't give me life. Mercy gave me life. Could I say mercy's enough to get me in heaven, but mercy's not enough to get heaven in me. Only grace causes heaven in me. Father, let your kingdom come. Ah, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not a prayer of mercy. That's a prayer of grace. Let your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is an internal kingdom, not an external kingdom. It's a place of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a place where I become an expression of God. I become the word that makes me fruitful. Fruitful is not what I do in life. Fruitful is how much life happens because of me. 
fruitful is what happens to the world because of me, because of you. Now, I believe with all my heart that uh, this, that I believe, first of all, I believe that I was born for this. Uh, I believe that everyone should have been born for this. I, I believe that I've embraced this journey to become this. I believe this house is like that. Uh, we could call it a, a pioneering house, uh, your forerunners, your first fruits, but really what you are is life givers. This church, The Rock, is, is, a, is a life-giving place. Not just a love-accepting place, but a life-giving place. And I believe that when I say in the beginning, that phrase, in the beginning, is powerful for you because there's going to be many in the beginnings. In the past, there were many in the endings. Okay? And m much of what has been experienced as grace came because there was much mercy. But you are on the cutting edge of something, of something greater. You are becoming a word. Anthony and Chris Chapman are a word. You as a church are a word. Each of you are a word. But I'm telling you, your pastors here are a word. You're, they're a word in the earth that's intended to bring life to the earth that did not... That the earth needs to be subdued. Otherwise, we're rearranging the chairs and calling it authority. Authority destroys death with life. Power moves the chairs around on the deck, but on the side of the ship it still says Titanic. Authority transforms the ship to become really unsinkable. Not vulnerable to icebergs. It transforms people's lives. You have become a word of mercy. You have become a word of forgiveness. You, and you are becoming. You have become and you are becoming because that word abides in you. Not because it happened in the past, because, but because there's still a continual hearing of that word. The fruit of mercy, the fruit of forgiveness in this house is rich. And this city, York and other cities, <clears throat> other places on the planet, India and other <clears throat> countries, doors that are yet to even be seen, <clears throat> are experiencing the blessing of the word of this house, the blessing of the power of the word. Not the blessing of how much revelation, though Anthony is a man of revelation. That's not the blessing that he carries. The blessing that he carries is what he's become that that revelation put him on a journey to find. But you didn't find it from the revelation. You found it from the encounter that came because of that revelation. Okay. There's a riches here of becoming the power of the word. And, and I, I, I say I'm also the same. I believe that I am a word. Now I'm going to tell you this. The word that you're becoming as a church is... You're about to take on a dynamic now of transformation in people's lives, uh, a season of transformed spirit, souls, and bodies, transformed humanity, not just loving humanity, but empowering humanity to become, to, to be expressions of the word so that we don't just read a book 
in the Bible that says 2,000 years ago, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, but we recognize, whoa, the word is still flesh and he's in the neighborhood. The word is flesh in my family. The word is flesh in my city. The word is flesh. It's not carnal flesh. It's flesh, spirit, soul, and body. It's power, throne, and authority. It's expressed to change. It's bringing fruitfulness. It's bringing life. And I believe that there's an acceleration of this. This is happening in the earth. And... um, Look at one last scripture and then I'm out of here. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, how, what's the opposite of faith? Huh? Sight. Good. You got the right answer. Okay. Because the opposite of faith, the most common answer in many houses is fear. The second most common is doubt. But the opposite of faith is sight. Sight is what you naturally see, naturally hear, what you think you see, what you think you hear, what it feels like, what you think it feels like. It's all the senses to your soul. It's hearing God with your soul without your spirit. Is natural sight. Okay? And the opposite of faith. Now, how does faith work? It works through love. Okay, we say, how does it not work? Where there's no revelation of love, faith can't work. So when my wife says to me, honey, would you like to take out the garbage? She's not asking me, would I like to take out the garbage? She's saying, I don't want to take out the garbage. Would you? Do you love me, babe? The answer to that is yes. Not just with my lips. I get up, grab the garbage, and take it out. That's the word. (laughs) But that would be faith toward her as a person, or I'll get an offense. Well, why don't you take it out? Because I don't want to. She, I don't want to. She doesn't want to. Nobody wants to. She, she, she's asking me, do you love me, honey? And she doesn't do that anymore because she knows I use that illustration, so she stopped. <laughs> but when you, faith is always toward a person. Faith is never toward a promise. Because faith works through love. And if your faith is toward your promise, then you love your promise. Faith is toward a promise, promiser. Faith is toward a person. That's what makes it so that, that grace works in marriages. Faith is toward a person. That's what makes it so that grace works in a community. Faith is toward a person. If faith is toward a promise, you don't have a community, and it's not going to work. Natural sight's going to destroy it. Faith is toward a person. Faith is toward God, but faith is toward one another. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then it says, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony, verse three, for by faith we understand that the worlds, that word worlds, there's aeons, has nothing to do with anything that God created. It says, by faith the worlds were framed. What worlds? The worlds of Noah, the worlds of Abel, the worlds of, the worlds of Abraham, the worlds of Sarah, the worlds of all these different ones before their worlds, their aeons were framed because they heard God, were hearing God, heard God, were hearing God, and were able to frame something out of that. Okay, it's even more so now. So your world needs to be framed. The power of the word, word is you. 
the power of the word. There are are some amazing things going on right now in the earth. Uh, This is the present move of God, I I think, is the messiest move of God I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Most people don't even know it's a move. Uh, uh, (laughs) I believe it's a move of community. Come to unity. Communion. Come to union. It's not... Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Hey, let's, let's read it in the Hansen translation. Woo, look at this. Hey, hey, look, look. How good it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. You know what it's like? It's like the oil on the top of Aaron's head runs down his beard, down his garment, to his feet. You didn't get that? You know what it's like? It's like the dew of Hermon, those snow-covered mountains that comes down on that little hill of Zion. For there the Lord's commanded the blessing. Where? Where the oil hits the dirt. Where the dew hits the stone of Zion. What's the blessing? Life forevermore. What's the result? Unity. Unity is not conformity. Unity is finding life. And God is is wanting to bring a unity that's beyond, right now, you, you, what you, listen, don't go looking at natural sight. Don't listen to natural sight. Don't be looking and, and thinking, well, my goodness, the world is in great division. The world has been in great division. If it's manifesting in division, it means something that's the opposite is manifesting in the earth. Because shakable things only shake when the unshakable thing walks into the room. When the word becomes flesh, what's not the word shakes. The future of the world is not determined by what's going on in the world. It's determined by what is the word of God in the earth. And the word of God is what we've become. Maybe I've, hopefully you've gotten something out of this. The power of the word. So I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for who we are. I thank you that you love us. Thank you that our sins are forgiven. We were born to be loved by you. Thank you so much for the strength of that word, that expression in this house. Thank you, God, for that in this city. Thank you, God, that you have, that that expression of the rock is here in the rock. I thank you that the ambience, the atmosphere, the influence that testimony of born to be loved, shame off of you, you belong. Thank you for that testimony of reconciliation, that testimony of redemption, that good news, that flourishing life that's in this place. And I call that to increase, 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 increase. I thank you for the creative spirit that's in this house. I thank you for the creative ways that that things have been grabbed hold of. I thank you for this celebration that's even coming up that is an honoring of All Saints Day. I thank you for the creativity that comes even in these these practical realities of this house that expresses that word, you were born to be loved, that expresses that word of you have a father who loves you, your sins are forgiven. I thank you, God, for the increase of that in this place. I thank you, God, that for those that are here That word is true. I thank you, God, for those who are no longer here that that word is true. I thank you, God, for that 
that empowerment of grace that subdues, that destroys death. It, it's resident here. And I thank you, God, for the increase of it. I thank you, God, that there would be a full manifestation of the fuller manifestation, increasing manifestation of that that crumbles every lie, that crumbles the word and deception that creates strongholds that is not life-giving. And I thank you for the increase of that in this place. And Lord, I thank you that this house, that Anthony and Chris, members of this house, have become expressions of, of mercy and, and forgiveness and expectation and hope. I thank you, God, that those things are, are not just things that are, are coming into their heads, but their spirits are being made alive by that and their, their thoughts, their reasoning, their emotions, their imagination, their desire is coming alive by that and it's taking on expression even in practical ways through their hands and their feet and their eyes that they are being givers of that expression in this community. And now God, I call forth that in the beginning expression that would be released from this place that the word would increase in this house, that the word that brings transformation, the word of transformation, that word that transforms lives, that word that expresses, that not only reveals that you've moved into this neighborhood, but that this neighborhood has moved into you without disconnecting from the neighborhood, that this neighborhood has moved into the realms of the territory of grace. It's moved into the realm of the territory of life. It's moved into the realm of the influence of life in such a way that life is expanding, expounding, and increasing now and causing there to be a revolution, a revolution that comes that even causes there to be a transformation where those who should have been first but were born second become first, where those who should have been fruitful but were born barren become fruitful, where the impossible becomes possible. God, I thank you that there's a season in this house right now of miracles, but not religious, foolish miracles, but miracles of, uh, of great measurement, a parting of seas, and opening of effective efficiencies that bring forth transformation even to nations. Cause it to come forth in Jesus' name. Cause it to come forth in Jesus' name. I bless this word, the word of this house to be the word to be the word, to be the word, that you give life, you give breath, you give all things. Let there be uniting of spirit, soul, and body here, and let that expression transform this world. The aeon, the sphere, the measure that's been given here, cause it to be transformed, not just from boundary to boundary, but expanding beyond so that the territory of life increases in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. Well, there's plenty for you to pick through there and look at. I always find with, um, uh, with Ted, and I think, it, I think it's to do with both of us um, having the heart and spirit and calling of a prophet that the at the core of what we do so um it's like people are the same get each other real easily and uh you know i just i listen to ted and it's like i hear it like that i hope you're hearing it as clear as i'm hearing it but that doesn't matter anyway 
um, because you'll hear within it what is important to you. But I think there are some some very significant things in there, some very encouraging things. And I think this um, this idea of um, of you are the word, you know, uh, the, there's an aspect that I can see how it manifests, even particularly you hear it in evangelical charismatic circles, I have a word for you. And it suddenly hit me tonight, that's the problem. That's the problem right there. Too many people having a word for you. What a difference if some, you came and said, I am a word to you. See, the difference is you can have a word but not have integrity within the word that you're bringing to others, which is where judgments and condemnation and criticism come from. But if you are the word, you will be, in essence, in your very expression, who that word is, which means that, that really condemnation and judgment and accusation and shame can't, can't flow out of that spirit because if you are the word, you're full of grace and you're full of truth. And, uh, you know, I just, just dropped this in because it, it struck me last year when I was studying this out because um, uh, when you're talking about, you know, these measures of grace that we flow in, uh, one of the arguments that's thrown up at you is that but Jesus was full of grace and truth. And uh, what the argument basically goes is that, um, you know, truth balances grace. It's like a stupid comment. A stupid comment. First of all, why would grace need to be balanced? Um, and if he's full of it, he's full of it. Of course, the, when you actually look at the Greek, which I found fascinating because I was raised with those kind of things, you know, truth balances grace, which basically means you're forgiven, but truth is that I'm going to point out where your shame is and where your error is and, and what's right and what's wrong. But when you really look at that word in the Greek, the, the nearest we have in an English picture of that is the hallmark that you put on silver that says this is authentic. That, that word is, is linked to the word hallmark, that we now have the word hallmark. When you hallmark something, you're saying this is the genuine, authentic thing. So I, it made me, it excited me because I realized what it was saying is Jesus, it's not, Jesus's grace is balanced by what we would call truth. That's really judgment and condemnation. He was saying Jesus's grace is fully authentic. It's all marked grace. So when he's full of grace and truth, it means he's full of authentic grace. I, I believe what we've been seeking in this house is uh, for, for silver to be hallmarked, it has to be assayed. It has to be tested. Uh, you don't just, somebody doesn't come in and say, I've got some silver here, and you go, let me put a stamp on it. You, you, you test it. You test the silver. You test the gold. And the hallmark is the result of the test, okay? And, uh, and what I believe we, we have been seeking in this house is, is to live in the place of grace where, where God in his kindness sees that a hallmark can be put on it. So when you look at it, you say, this is not just a word of grace. It's not just a word about grace. It's not just a message that preaches grace. This is, this is grace in the flesh. This is the word made flesh. It's no longer become a word. It is the word. So, you know, I, I'm saying from this, we don't have a word to the city. You know, we don't have a word to the city. We are a word to the city. We're becoming flesh. And so, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I, yeah, I think authentication has been, is not something that you can give yourself. 
right? You can't. You can't authenticate yourself. You have to be authenticated. And uh, I, I believe, I found it encouraging what Ted says because I, I, I really do believe that, that a lot of the trials, the struggles and the issues that we have created by going the way we've gone are part of the process that can authenticate. And nobody wants... The, 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 the imitation is cheap. And what people pay for the imitation and how they wear the imitation represents what they paid and, and what the value of it is. When it's authentic, there is a completely different approach and attitude. And, and uh, I believe when people see the grace in all its authenticity, there is a different value that is placed upon it. And I believe, um, you know, we may, we may be and have been ridiculed in some, some religious circles, um, but I don't believe that we're being ridiculed by the city or will be because I think this city is seeing more and more that there is an authentic grace that is flowing and, and, and authentic lives that are being touched. That, that I think Ted used the right terminology um, uh, about you have become and you are becoming. I think you have become is a dangerous phrase. Chris, Chris and I talked about this some time ago. You have become is a dangerous phrase because if you've become it, that's where you stay. But if you have become it and you are becoming it, there is a sense of movement. There's a sense of momentum. So we are grateful and, and thankful for what we have become, but we are more grateful and thankful for what we are becoming because that's called life, okay? If what you have become is the end of it, then the truth is we're going to have a funeral next week because that, that is now death. What you become is now death. While you are becoming, you are still alive, okay? That's the indication of life. When we are becoming, we know that we're alive. So, so I believe we're alive. And if sometimes it's tough, the measurement is this, are we becoming? The answer to that is yes. Therefore, the good news is we're still alive. We're still alive. And while ever we continue to become, we will continue to live. So bless you. Thanks, Ted. Appreciate you being with us. And thank you for the, thank you for the word. And uh, thank you for being, being the word. And we are being the word now. So we'll see you on Saturday and bless you. All right, thank you. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.